Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Best ass podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, now for the show. Certain discoveries are once in a lifetime. It's what true enthusiasts dream about. Unearthing a hidden gem that's been sitting unused and forgotten for decades. For a young Nolan Sykes, that fantasy came true on one fateful day when he walked through a tall field of corn and came across something truly magical. In a trance, young Nolan walks towards his treasure. It was painted ox blood red with white accents along a trim. And although the paint was chipping in places, it still retained its former glory. The design was boxy and angular, just like his visions. The sliding doors came standard, and as he pulled them open for the first time in decades, they revealed a musty interior that smelled of cowhide and dust. It looked like she was equipped with a mere three horses, but Nolan knew that wouldn't be a problem. He could get those ponies to Winnie. There were holes in the roof and what appeared to be cow droppings on the floor. To almost anyone else, it wasn't much, but standing in the middle of this cornfield in God's country, young Nolan knew one thing beyond a doubt. This was the best damn barn he'd ever found. Wait, you found a barn? This is the Barn Finds episode. It's about people finding lost cards inside of a barn. Right, I knew that, but... This barn, though. <laughs> okay, today on Past Gas, we're going to look at some of the most amazing barn finds, as in cars found in barns to ever be found. Let's <laughs> eskid it. <laughs> Welcome back to Past Gas, everyone. I am your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my co hosts, James Pumphrey. Toot, toot. And Joe Weber. Fired up. <laughs> and uh, as the intro suggests today, we are talking barn finds. Uh, I'll just start it right off. What, James, what is your dream barn find? Ooh, that's a time. Yeah, I wish you would have told me that I would have to think about this earlier. I assumed <laughs> um, that the, the topic would, su- would uh, suggest that I would ask you some sort of question <laughs> like that uh, in this episode. I'll give you some time to think about it. Joe, what about you? I think like... Uh, Dusty old Lotus Elise, uh, like a white Lotus Elise that's missing a couple quarter panels or something, and okay. maybe flat tires, and there's a little rat's nest in it. Yeah, taking some inspiration from the Forza games, the Forza barn finds, I assume. 
No one, what, no one, what's your, uh, what's your ideal barn find? Any sort of old Mopar, like a Charger or a Challenger would be really sweet, but the, 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 the ultimate would be a Charger Daytona, uh, the, the NASCAR homologation special with the big old wing and the pointy nose. I think that's, they didn't make very many of those to begin with, but that's the, the ultimate for me. Uh, I, I found an article of one that was unearthed a few years ago, and that would just be, that would be a, a real treat. That's a pretty good one. Hey, I've actually found an old uh, Imperial at James's house, and I'm thinking about <laughs> restoring it. Yeah, I'm yeah. selling it for cheap. It was my, uh, my dead husband's. I don't know what I got. I mean, you can take it if you want it. <laughs> okay, my uh, ideal barn find would be a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. Uh, and, and the person doesn't know what it is. They're like, I don't know. I think it's like a, some sort of race car. It was my uh, uncle's. 4500 bucks, And then I sell it for $48 million. <laughs> Oh, so Most, you're all about flipping it. You don't want to keep about the it. Profit, huh? I don't have dreams. I don't have dreams beyond the greens. All right. You know what my dream <laughs> is? Money. But what do you do with that money? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> figured it out yet. I feel so empty and lonely. <laughs> I swim in it. <laughs> I swim I I swim in it and I take care of my nephews. Oh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie? <laughs> yeah, I love those little guys. <laughs> <laughs> we get into all kinds of crazy adventures. <laughs> Sometimes there's a stranger right behind us. Is that Darkwing Duck? I don't get that. No, no it's like that's part of the song. It's like the danger right behind you. There's a stranger uh. out to find you. <laughs> that's a strange theme song. Yeah, say yeah, it is. I watched that. Uh, I have Disney Plus. Not to brag, uh, I am about that green. Um, and I wa I've been watching like all those Disney shows that I loved when I was a kid, like Tailspin and Ducktales, and they're terrible. Yeah. yeah, they are awful shows like compared to something like Phineas and Ferb or like a modern kid show like they're just like people didn't have any respect for children or their <laughs> brains when I was growing up. It's just like, I don't know, just fucking shit out whatever. Yeah. And but like now it's like I feel like people are like passionate about cartoons. Yeah, there's always a message in modern cartoons where it's yeah. like. The, like DuckTales, uh, like the old DuckTales and like Tailspin and this stuff that I watched when I was a kid. It's just like, this doesn't even make any fucking sense. Like you guys didn't put any effort into this storyline. This is bizarre. You're just cashing in on these like on this Disney IP. It's like, oh, remember the guy, the bear from the Jungle Book? Well, now he's a pilot in this weird 1940s time. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's the end of the creative process <laughs> and it's just like i don't he's gonna be late but he keeps falling asleep <laughs> anyway barn finds huh i'm excited about this one we've been talking about some really serious subjects lately um this one's sort of a, a chill boy uh expect a lot of bits a lot of ri rips a lot of disney talk <laughs> yeah yeah it's both a barn find and disney talk episode this week so a lot of variety for the for you, dear listener. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, uh, we're not just going to be telling one story in this one. A lot of we got a lot of uh, smaller stories in a little compendium for you. What's a compendium? Uh, it's like um, uh, you know, James. Do you remember like uh, <laughs> all those old punk compilations that you get at at the Warp Tour? Oh uh, yes. Yeah, every every single record label had them. They were like, like five a bucks by each. Ramen compilation. Fueled by Ramen. You got Discord. You got freaking Epitaph. They all got these compilations. Different bands, different songs. It's yeah. kind of like that. Great. Only every entry on this list is great instead of just the two no effects songs. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. So Barn Finds. Wait, just really quick. You know how many times I've seen Bowling for Soup? Play. <laughs> <laughs> just because i went to warp tour like twice a year for four years <laughs> bowling for soup was he bowling for soup play like <laughs> a bunch <laughs> i remember i was watching letterman with my parents one time and bowling for soup was the musical guest and they're like hey we're bowling for soup we're the greatest rock band in the world let's go and then they started playing and uh even as a kid i was like the greatest rock band in the world 
<laughs> that was before you understood the cheekiness of the punk singers. Yeah, yeah. I I took I think I took things very literally until I was about like 15 years old and that's when I was like, "Oh, people can be sarcastic." <laughs> All right, I before mean, we get started, I just want to <laughs> I just I just found this out. I know this is a lot up top, but the Melvins are still a band and they just came out with a new album. How insane is that? They've been a band for like 40 years. Keep it going, man. Okay, I guess not super crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, thought that was crazy. Those, yeah. Like, I feel like a band like that, it's kind of easy to stay together. There's like not a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you make an album, you don't. Who cares? <laughs> Literally nobody. <laughs> so I don't think there's a lot of like, like Metallica, like I think those guys are babies, but I think they were under a lot of pressure to be like the greatest metal band in pop culture. Yeah. I think like the Melvins, it's like, yeah, let's take like eight years off. <laughs> <laughs> let's have grandkids and come back. Yeah. Like, like Metallica had to find a new bass player because Metallica had to keep going because Metallica is like a hundred million dollar machine. Yeah, luckily they found Kurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, the no, bass player is Kurt too. I don't know. There's like four Kurts in that band. <laughs> Everybody's name. They is got Kurt. the they got the bassist from uh from Suicidal Tendencies. Yeah, that oh, guy's nice. cool. He is cool. He wears his bass oh. real low. Oh, I listened. Uh, Blink One Eighty Two has a new song called Quarantine, and I've decided uh, it's uh now that Matt Skiba is in. Blink-182, and they're all old. They're just Pennywise now. <laughs> like, they sound exactly like Pennywise. <laughs> they got to cover Bro Him. Which I'm not I'm not mad about. Uh, Pennywise was my favorite band yeah, growing Yeah, Pennywise up. and NoFX, like, helped me through yeah. my teen years. Yeah, those are my favorite bands. All right, let's go. Let's go. Barn yeah. finds. Barn right, finds. Before we get started. No. We're <laughs> <laughs> recording till 10 p.m. <laughs> all right. Barn finds. Uh, the long lost cars with a built-in mystery. We're addicted to these lost and found time capsules, partly because of the story they tell about the past, but also of how they feel in the present. Like something that time traveled into now with decades old potential just waiting to be tapped. And to be clear, these cars don't need to be found in a barn, okay? Today, our barn finds come from parking garages, an Australian chicken coop, and even buried underground. Zombie car. So what's the rarest car ever found? What's the most valuable? And how do these automotive treasures get lost in the first place? A normal person loses their car keys once in a while, but who is the person that can lose an entire car? Especially one like a prototype Shelby Mustang or a Lamborghini Mira S. Uh, here's a hint, they're usually very rich people. We'll also get into why car fans continue to love these barn finds, maybe in an age where literally all the information in the world sits in our pocket, the idea of hidden treasure is more precious than ever before. And with so many cars feeling blander and more mass produced than ever, unique cars feel rarer than ever too. A barn find always has its own one of a kind story behind it. So I think that's a really good point. I would say that like barn finds potentially like don't exist in the way that they used to because to me a barn find is like also suggests some sort of like deal or like value you know what i mean like it's like oh i found this car and then i bought it for this much money whereas like now the person can just google it like i know i like i make a living everyone in this makes a living talking about cars on the internet but the internet has ruined cars everything is valuable now yeah it kind of sucks i think it hasn't ruined the the joy of driving or getting to experience like new things in that way but i see what you're saying whereas a lot of things are just ascribed value immediately mm -hmm. which yeah. i i really hate like god on bring a trailer this week there was some honda accord from like the mid 70s that sold for like twenty one thousand dollars, and i was like that car oh is god. not worth that amount of money just because <laughs> yeah, it's, that car just because if it's, it's in, in that perfect condition four thousand dollars to a huge honda accord, accord yeah, fan but because like there's such a hype around like oh man this is like in this such and such condition with this miles and it's it, it, there's only so many of them like that's when money kind of ruins it and that culture of like wanting to have a car that valuable i don't know i mean the same thing happened 
though, like 15 years ago with barn find, particularly Mopars, because those cars weren't as common back in the day. So when people found like a Barracuda or a Challenger sitting somewhere in a barn, they're like immediately like, this car's worth a million dollars. No, it's a rusty piece of <laughs> shit. And it's only worth a million dollars if it was like original parts matching everything. But because you found some shell behind your uncle's place, it doesn't mean jack. It's 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 <laughs> yeah. it, clearly look, I'm a I'm a I'm a bitter Mopar guy. It's been the 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 <laughs> values have been in, completely overinflated, which is why I had to buy a fucking Imperial instead of like a, a real muscle car <laughs> because, of, because of this attitude that everything has yeah. to be some crazy valuable car for it to be cool, which is not true. Your car is really cool, Nolan. It you shouldn't cool. feel bad about that. It will that. be cool, but Joe, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Nolan, sometimes Nolan's car, I, Nolan's car is parked at my house. Um, sometimes I go and sit in it. I, I good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it's like it's fun. It's like I sit in it. I think like some like when the sun's going down. <laughs> I'm like, man, this thing's gonna be cool when it runs. No, it will be. Yeah. It's it's. I ordered a bunch of brake parts, which have finally arrived at James's house. Uh, there might be some more boxes on the way, but I'm gonna refresh the brake system. Uh, and after that, the big hurdle becomes getting the car to run, and that's when I can find out what else needs to be fixed. So yeah. Uh, is it? Are you converting from drum brakes to disc? No, it's just, it's got drum brakes all around. So I ordered a bunch of drum brake uh, specific stuff like uh, brake shoes and wheel cylinders, brake lines, return springs, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I also live on the top of a gigantic hill. Yeah, <laughs> so it's gonna be a real trial by fire situation. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go around your little uh, neighborhood there first before we do yeah. anything drastic. This is like a seventeen thousand pound rocket, fucking just zooming down. Well, we know the we know the e brake works. So let's get right into it. <laughs> yeah, finally, <laughs> with what might be the OG of barn finds. All right, this car probably has the record for the longest time hidden away. It's spent. Okay, you guys ready for this? 112 years sitting in a shed in Austria before being uncovered in 2014. Wow. The car I'm talking about is the Porsche P1, also known as the Egger Loner electric vehicle. And even calling it a car might be a bit of a stretch Armstrong. Whatever you want to call <laughs> it, though, what's not up for debate is that the P1 is the world's first ever Porsche designed by a then 23-year-old Ferdinand Porsche. Wow. Ferdinand even employed the 19th century version of a watermark, actually hand carving P1 into every individual component of the car. So like you mentioned, Nolan, this is parts, uh, numbers matching. Yeah. OG, all original uh, equipment. The P1 was built in 1898. <laughs> that is 97 years before Post Malone was born and actually looks like something that belongs in a barn, kind of like a horse-drawn carriage. However, instead of horses, the Porsche is electric powered with a primitive system of batteries that actually gave the car a respectable 50 mile range. Wow. Ironically, uh, last year, Porsche rolled out its all electric sports car, the Taycan, which is a terrible name, uh, <laughs> clearly meant to compete with the Tesla. And it was widely covered in the media as Porsche's first ever electric car. Now you know that that was false. They made, their first one was made in 1898. Uh, as far as value, we might have to go with priceless for the P1 since it's more of a museum piece than something that can be detailed or, or restored. Also, props to the shed that apparently stayed standing for over a century. Imagine being <laughs> the first person to walk into its musty interior and realize what that P1 carving meant and that the person who carved it would go on to design one of the most iconic cars ever uh, and very unfortunately become uh, a Nazi. Yeah, so the P1 is on display in, I believe, Porsche's museum, and it doesn't have all of it there. Uh, so what Porsche did was they made these kind of glass, panes of glass, and then like laser etched uh, a photo of what it used to look like onto that remaining glass, which included oh, like the cool. canopy and some of the seats. So what's yeah. left of the car is the frame and the wheels and the, looks like the motor and all that, but... A very cool uh, display piece for sure. It's crazy because it just started right up and drove out, out of the barn. <laughs> yeah, it had yeah, been. Yeah, they just had to 
They just had to charge it. Yeah, it was on a trickle <laughs> charger for a hundred years, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> it was really hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the trickle charger was a mouse running on a wheel. <laughs> He's just really he, buff from running for so yeah, long. He's super buff and he's got a really long beard. And when they finally took him off, he was like, thank you. And then he immediately, <laughs> immediately died. Just turned to dust. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever watch Russ Valley? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's my Hell favorite yeah. show. <laughs> the sec the I think it's the second season where they get uh model A from Avery's mom. Yeah. And I love I love when they stage barn finds in shows like that yeah because it's like oh what's this there's a crack there let's just pull down this wall oh my gosh there's and then there's like <laughs> clearly like set designed like <laughs> like tumbleweeds on it that they <laughs> take off <laughs> oh we better restore this <laughs> i was on the avery is the best uh the best character in television history. So I, I was like on the fence about him until that episode. I was on the fence about like the whole show until that episode where like, we can't find Avery. Avery, where are you? <laughs> or, they're not Southern, they're Canadian. We can't find Avery. Eh? Where are you, Avery? There you go. And then he like shows up and he's like, <laughs> his face was just swollen. He's like, I got bit in the face. By, I got bit in the face by a spider. Eh? <laughs> oh, Avery. <laughs> You're always getting swollen. bit in the face by spider. Spiders, Avery. <laughs> I love that show. That's a great it's show. Really it good. really is. It's it's good. The second season I I haven't dove into, but the first season is is very. It, it's worth watching. It's very entertaining. Mm, yeah. Uh, Joe, you want to take this one? Okay. This is my first read. Oh. Inglorious Barn Stars. <laughs> On the subject of Nazis, there are a ton of stories about works of art and priceless artifacts being hidden from the German forces as they stormed through Europe in the 30s and 40s. Cars were no different. They were often seized by Nazis for use in war, forcing car owners who feared Nazi invasion into a difficult choice. Do you sabotage your beloved car by destroying it in some way? Maybe sinking it? Or burning it? <laughs> Why don't you sink it? You can't go. You can't go back and like dredge it up. Or do you give it to the Jerry's, knowing you are potentially giving aid to the enemy? I think I would sink it. Uh, some people tried a third option: hiding the cars from the Nazis altogether. That's the story of a 1926 Trojan Tourer, Tourer, <laughs> which was owned by a widow named Helen Gasson. Helena. The Trojan was a British-made three-door touring car that the selling point was simplicity. The company advertised that the car's engine had just seven moving parts, four pistons, two connecting rods, and a crankshaft. Pretty simple. <laughs> As the Nazis invaded the Channel Islands, a tiny cluster of islands between France and England, where Helena lived, she hid her tourer in a, <laughs> in a garden shed, and it remained concealed and undiscovered by the Germans until after the war. After the war ended and the Nazis left the Channel Islands, Helena retrieved her tourer, uh, playing a classic Barnhide Barnfind combo. <laughs> classic Barnhide Barnfind combo. In what must have been the ride of a lifetime, she went on to drive it as part of the local Liberation Day parade. A spooky mirror image of Helena's wartime Barnfind emerges from the story of a 1938. Cabriolet Mercedes-Benz 320 that was discovered in a barn in Denmark. The barn had actually collapsed on the car as it sat rusting in a field. The husk of the car was dragged to the side of the road and displayed with a four-sign sale or Tilsalg sign in Danish and sat for about a year until an engineer for Mercedes-Benz named Loritz Lortzian heard about the Mercedes and traveled to the field to check it out. Only 34 of these specific cabriolets were ever made. But what Loritz noticed about this particular car was that it had unique features not seen on any other models, including boot scrapers, ashtrays. Boot scrapers is f***ing tight. Yeah. Boot scrapers, ashtrays, a cabin heater, and sun visors. When he dug further, he found out that this car had been manufactured in the Mannheim factory, a Nazi stronghold the time of its manufacture, and was the only cabriolet of the 34 made that had been built in Mannheim. With further digging... The story only got stranger. Mercedes claimed to have no information on the car. Uh-huh. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, we like, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. Sorry. How convenient. And they're, they're just like kicking papers under a couch. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that car. Are you sure that is? 
That looks more like a peace sign to me. Lauritsen <laughs> <laughs> kept up his research, noticing the car had damage and shoddy repair work that had indicated it had probably been used by the Nazis during World War II. During the war, fixes were often hastily done on the cheap. By following his hunch, Lauritsen eventually made a shocking discovery. The cabriolet had been owned and driven by none other than the Nazi leader, Reinhard Heydrich, also known as the Butcher of Prague, who was at one time second in command of the SS. Even crazier, the damage to the car matched the damage caused by an assassin's bomb that mortally wounded Heydrich on a Prague street in 1942. After the war, fleeing officers had driven the car to Denmark, where it was forgotten. The car was an incredible relic of the war, and even its damage was historic. A very cool find, but also very creepy. <laughs> Whoa. That is creepy. I like that it has assassination damage on it. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's metal. Assassination. Like that. Yeah, that's like a cool album title. Assassination <laughs> damage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's. I like that. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well. Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, enough of the Nazi stuff. For a palate cleanser, let's fast forward to a more recent barn find valued well into the seven figures. This one in North Carolina, where in 2018, Tom Cotter, who hosts the YouTube show Barn Find Hunter, arrived in an abandoned house's garage full of cars that hadn't been touched in almost 30 years. The story behind the garage began as so many barn find legends do sometime in the past, in this case, the 80s, there's a rich dude with a bunch of extremely nice cars. This particular rich dude had a mechanic who was the only man he trusted to work on this collection. But this prized mechanic died unexpectedly in a motorcycling accident. Unable to find someone he trusted to work on the cars, their years went on and the rich dude cars sat untouched. That's a real connection between a man and his mechanic. I'll really? say that. They were probably lovers. <laughs> you're, just gonna, you're gonna say that? I mean... <laughs> Most likely, they were lovers. All right. The evidence is there. I only trust one man with my dipsticks. <laughs> Cut to 2018, and Cotter was raising a creaky garage door that hadn't been opened in three decades to reveal a truly insane find, or rather finds, plural. Sitting in the cobwebs and old boxes of junk were multiple extremely rare automotive masterpieces. The first one was a 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB with a super rare alloy body. The wow. There you go, James. That's your car. I know. That's my car. 45 million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the engine was an equally rare two-cam V12. Wow. Designed by Giacchino Colombo. Uh... <laughs> Even more incredible was a 1966 Shelby Cobra 427, painted cherry red under a thick, thick layer of dust. That's Shelby, not even more incredible. Let's take that back. That's less incredible. You can take it back. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you it's can cool, take it but back. finding a Ferrari Jeep, like, that's like a million dollar car. 
Well, yeah. James, Shelby had planned to make 100 of the 427s, but in the end, only 56 were manufactured after the car turned into a major financial failure due to its production cost. Classic Shelby. Mm. The 427 was an incredible, rather, feat of engineering featuring a big block 427 cubic inch, big block V8, and one of the most iconic Shelby open cockpit designs of all time. Dude, um, that's like this is like Ford v Ferrari in a barn. This guy could have done cosplay, like crazy <laughs> cosplay. That would be if someone cosplayed as uh, either of those men. That would be that would be something for sure. And James, I'm just going to take you to task over this your little comment over whether or not a Cobra <laughs> is Ooh, uh, gloves off. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. Round one. <laughs> you know what? Actually, uh, well, okay. In uh, 2007, a uh, 66 CSX, which is one of the first Cobras, uh, mm -hmm. sold for $5.3 million. Wow. Um, oh, well, uh, a 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB Spider sold for $27 million. Oh, my God. Even if this one's worth a little less than that, it's you're still right. A you're bunch right. But here, here money. we. But James, we're getting into this price thing again. That's what a barn find is. It's an incredibly rare or valuable car that you find in a place. It it go they go hand in hand. It's like finding a Dodge Caravan. That's not a barn find. It's like of course this Dodge Caravan is in this barn. There's going to <laughs> it's be. Like, it's like finding <laughs> no. twenty seven million dollars. It's like finding buried treasure. Well, round one goes to James. Not for me. Not for me, man. You are a punk. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Like, he yelled at me. He yelled at me when I had talked about like flipping my car, my Z. Yeah. He was like, yeah, because he's like, <laughs> he said, Joe, cars are supposed to be enjoyed, not sold. I, I, I did say something like that. I hate this idea that look, I, I'm not gonna deny that like there is some sort of. You know, I'm not. I'm, I won't deride you. I guess for being excited over the the potential value, but like, for me, if I found that Charger Daytona, I'm excited because I want to get it back together and drive it and experience it. I'm not excited because exactly. I want to get it. No, I'm not saying like I. I'm not saying flipping cars. Like I don't dig that. I'm not. It's like I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. If you find a freaking $27 million car, that's exciting. Yeah, because you're not gonna because you're not gonna be able to afford it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Or like if you find that Charger Daytona, you're excited because you wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. That's fair. That's fair. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. like a come up. It's like it's it's like a genie shows up and magic happens. You're in your grandma's backyard and you're you're she's like yeah, your grandpa's got that weird shaped car out back. That thing's so ugly. Then you go back there and it's a freaking Daytona. Yeah. You know, then you're like, oh, now I have a Daytona. I would never otherwise have this. That's It's fair. a one of one Daewoo Lanos <laughs> hand, signed, <laughs> hand signed by Jujaro. It's the original Daewoo Lanos concept <laughs> car from the Paris <laughs> Auto Show. <laughs> <laughs> Now that does have value. It's, va it's valued at upwards of eight thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we could come to an agreement on that. But if I but if I did, I've I don't really have an affinity for Ferraris. I think they're cool, but it's like not my dream car. I yeah, would I remember you saying specifically in our first episode of the show that Ferrari was an asshole and that you wanted him to lose. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have anything to he made amazing cars i'm just saying one i'm nervous driving uh like modern day ferraris right right uh because they're so expensive there's no freaking way i would ever drive a 27 million dollar car around yeah no i also I'd be pooping my pants the whole time i would just absolutely freaking yeah be so terrified the entire time that someone was going to t-bone me and then i would die because it's an old race car with no seatbelts. I would 1,000% hit up Sotheby's. <laughs> I'd fucking, hey, Barrett Jackson, what's up? It's the pump. I think I got something that might be of interest to you, buddy. <laughs> and I'd, I'd sell it, and I'd buy a big-ass house cash, 
And I and then I'd invite all you guys over for a pool party. My pool is big enough to have jet skis in it, just like Billy Madison. <laughs> if I found a $27 million car, my son would be Billy Madison. Anyway. all right um both cars had less than twenty thousand miles on their odometers both the ferrari and the shelby there were literally nests of mice in the trunk of the cobra kind of fitting that given that snakes are in the habit of keeping mice in their bellies cobras mainly (laughs) feed on other snakes that's a weird saying weird weird way of saying that snakes (laughs) eat mice Also in the garage was a V8 Morgan and a Triumph TR6 two-door convertible. All in all, given the cars were all in basically mint condition, minus a mouse nest here and there, the contents of the garage were valued at roughly $4 million. Wow. So no huge house for you, James, with this collection. Not That's in, a huge house. What yeah, are you talking about? No, in LA, bucks. a four, four million dollars in LA is like you know that gets you. A, that's a one. That's a one bedroom with a half bath, and you got a. You've got. You've got a communal communal laundry room down the block from you. Uh, parking is extra. If you haven't noticed, I've been watching. A, I've been watching a lot of uh, house hunters this week, and and thus looking at Zillow and becoming increasingly depressed every day. Yeah. You got to go east. Set your map east, or just move to the boonies, like me. We are, dude. We are. We're doing it so wrong. Um, for example, I'm wearing a Fitment shirt right here. Alex at Fitment has like a freaking Ferrari, and that's because they live <laughs> yeah. out in. Uh, I'm not even sure where they're at, honestly. Wisconsin. They're in Wisconsin. Oh, dude, you have a you have like anything from Wisconsin? You're it just to like. I don't know the Midwest. I don't know the Midwest at all. I realized today I don't know where any of the states in New England are. Uh, Maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm just stupid. I'm moving to Texas. Oh yeah. Yep. All right. Well, have fun in that heat, buddy. A similar (laughs) find was made in Italy in 2017, where an absolutely mint red BMW M1 was found sitting in a garage after 34 years without being driven, with just 4,554 miles on the odometer. Whoa. The, the M1 was designed by none other than our man Giorgetto Giugiaro with only 435 made as part of BMW's efforts to develop their motorsports division and compete with Porsche. Whoever was storing the M1 took advantage of Giugiaro's signature wedge design using the flat hood and roof to store what looks like a mop bucket full of junk and an old spare tire. The tires were totally flat and it was dustier than a... Ch- than a Chuck E. Cheese in a pandemic, but after it was cleaned and restored, it sold for a million dollars. Not surprising at all. I remember last Chuck E. Cheese I went to, there was like a lot of commotion, and I looked over, and some kid had like used a fork to mm-hmm. pry open the little panel, and then everyone was just grabbing tickets and like <laughs> running. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese, I, I like. At some point, I like remember hearing about like four or five shootings at like different Chuck E. Cheeses. Oh my god! I think it's because like they'd have they serve beer there, and they have kids' birthday parties, and like I think like the dad and the new boyfriend would show up and get a little drunk, and then get yeah, in a shooting match. Greek Elvis and the missing Muras. How much blow? Were these 70s and 80s doing to just straight up forget they owned cars? Maybe the <laughs> ultimate example of automotive amnesia is the story of an abandoned Lamborghini Mira S. The car originated as a gift from Aristotle Onassis, who is probably best known for marrying John F. Kennedy's widow, Jackie O. But the story of this widowed 69 Lambo is very interesting. Wait, I thought Onassis was like her maiden name, but it was a name that she got... After marrying this guy yeah. after JFK? Yeah. Whoa, I didn't know that. I want to be Jackie Onassis. I want to wear, wear a pair of dark sunglasses. I want to be, be Jackie. Oh, Jackie. Oh, 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 please, oh, don't, please die. don't die. <laughs> uh, now the story of this I 69 think that song every time I read uh, her name. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's such a good song. Onassis was basically Greek Trump. He wore power suits and built tall buildings, and apparently he loved the music of a dude named... Stamatis Kokotis. Sorry to my sorry to our Greek listeners. I said that wrong. Also known as Greek Elvis. Ooh. In addition to his famed exceptionally long sideburns, Kokotas 
was a car guy and apparently a pretty skilled rally driver. Uh, a lot of Greek dudes are. Uh, Onassis was a fan and to show his appreciation, bought Greek Elvis or Grelvis for short, <laughs> a brown Bertone designed 1969 Lamborghini Mira S. The car was outfitted with four huge fog lamps in the front, as well as silver accents on the interior, including a passenger grab handle, clearly geared toward Greek Elvis's affinity for rally driving. The Lambo broke down after about 50,000 miles and needing major engine repairs was parked in the underground garage of the Athens Hilton Hotel. It wasn't touched until the hotel was renovated 30 years later in 2003 and the car needed to be moved. With what you have to assume was a major charge for thousands of nights of valet parking, the car was hauled away and finally offered up at auction, where it sadly failed to meet the reserve price. It may seem unlikely that someone would just stop driving a Lamborghini, but the truth is that exotic cars like the Mira are primed to become barn finds. They're expensive to maintain and, and impractical to drive frequently. Plus, the owner can definitely afford to replace them with the latest and greatest. It makes sense that people just kind of give up on them. For proof, we can actually use Muras as a test case with a quick check of how many have shown up as barn finds. In 2013, Motor Trend show Chasing Classic Cars documented the discovery of a Lamborghini Mura in a garage outside of Chicago before being restored to its former glory. Then in 2016, a 67 Mura P400, the earliest model of the car, turned up in a barn find in Germany. Finally, in 2017, YouTube channel 1320 video documented the story of a Mura S that was later restored and valued at $2.5 million. It almost feels like there needs to be a Mura ranch where all these barn find Muras can be retired to go live out their days in the sunshine. Mura ranch sounds like a delicious dipping sauce. Yeah. Fake finds? <laughs> One issue that's worth noting is that the... The lure of a barn find is strong enough to create the very real possibility of fake barn finds. In our wheelhouse episode uh, on barn finds, we mentioned a Portuguese barn filled with close to 200 classic cars. I remember writing about this thing. There was pictures. Everything was dusty, uh, including vintage Alfa Romeo and Porsches. Uh, pictures of the dusty but eye-popping contents of the barn whose doors had apparently been welded shut by the owner, circulated in an online email that read, in part, a New York man retired. He wanted to use his retirement money wisely so it would last and decided to buy a home and a few acres in Portugal. The modest farmhouse had been vacant for 15 years. The owner and wife both had died and there were no heirs. Nobody wanted to go to the extra expense to see what was in the barn. I mean, what's the extra, extra expense? Like just cutting a lock? Cutting the welds. And it wasn't complimentary to the property anyway, so nobody made an offer on the place. Uh, the story was total BS, though. The real story, as we shared on Wheelhouse, I think like a dealership owner had stored these cars in an undisclosed location. They weren't forgotten by any means. Not to be paranoid, but I think about it from a seller's perspective, and you start to realize the potential value in faking a barn find. Spraying a little dust on your old Miata, claim to find it, post some pictures online and suddenly you've got a compelling story to go along with your car. Hey, um, does anyone know where I can buy some dust? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you on the auto forum asking for dust? Uh, I'm just looking for, uh, the kind of dust, uh, car might acquire, uh, uh this a is barn? a Chevy Sonic owners forum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, while we're on the subject of warehouses worth of cars, we need to mention that this warehouse full of pristine plastic wrapped Nissan Skylines that YouTuber Samit recently profiled on his channel. Admittedly, it's more of a barn heaven than a true barn find. Someone is most definitely keeping close watch over these cars. Even with that caveat, the warehouses are still mind blowing, featuring rows of Skylines nestled bumper to bumper. There are even some R34s, which, as we covered in our MotorX episode, aren't even legal yet in the U.S. Uh, you can reserve one of these Skylines, and the company that owns them will store it for you for 50 bucks a month until the day that your car can legally be shipped. The warehouse owned by a company named James Pumphrey. <laughs> <laughs> the warehouse owned by a company named Trust Kikaku is also massively stocked with mint Skyline parts just waiting to go out the door. I mean, that's pretty cool. King Tut's Tomb. It might seem impossible that a huge collection of cars could actually get lost, but for proof of that possibility, look no further 
than the example of a French family who whose unearthed trove of cars was compared by classic drivers to the treasures unearthed by King Tut's tomb. All right, let's let's take it down a notch, okay? The guy had a freaking gold coffin. <laughs> yeah, they don't do traveling <laughs> museum exhibits of these cars like they do King Tut's tomb, which I did see when I was 12 years old. You know, King Tut King Tut was in like four different coffins. What? He had like they had like all these crazy coffins that were carved carved stone and stuff and they were all put in like like Russian nesting dolls. Uh-huh. Apparently King Tut was like really like sick. Yeah, he was super inbred. Yeah. And he had a club foot and he couldn't breathe really well and he died at 18. Yeah. Dude, live fast, die young. You know what I'm saying? No, he, he had a club foot and all and he lived slow. I'm not going to say anything bad about King Tut because I don't want to get mummies cursed. King Tut, <laughs> King Tut was cool. I think King Tut and I probably would have got along. <laughs> Based on what? Just seemed like a chill Based guy. Based on you know? what? How did you come to this conclusion, Nolan? <laughs> I'm saying, like, if we were in high school together, <laughs> we would have been. Yeah, I'm based, I'm based on fucking nothing. <laughs> I'd probably go along with, uh, you know, the king. <laughs> crying. Yeah, in high school, if I lived back then, I'd probably be friends with the king. <laughs> I don't know if we would like keep in contact after high school, but we'd probably be pretty good friends. Dad, my dad owns a machine shop. I'd probably go to the same high school as the king. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Uh, anyway, this, uh, the collection of cars. The, the story starts with the patriarch of the family, Roger Bayon, who in the 50s aspired to be, or uh, uh, he aspired to open a car museum focused on early 20th century autos. Bayon collected dozens of cars, but in the 70s, financial setbacks with his business forced him to give up on his dream of doing so. So instead, the cars sat idle, spread out over the grounds of an expansive property in rural France. Why didn't he sell the cars? A photographer got wind of the trove of cars and visited the farm in 2014 when he discovered Bugattis, Ferraris, and Hispano Suzos, among others. Look, man, some car collectors, it's easy to say, hey, just sell the cars. But this guy, he's the kind of guy who wants to build a museum for these cars. He's that kind of guy where he's like, if, if he believes it belongs in a museum, he's not going to give up on it that easily. He's going to hold on to those things. You know, so sell one of sell one of those Hispano Suizos. It's not. It's Suizos. not that. It's not that simple, man. This is mental illness. This is a mental illness. <laughs> yeah, it's not my. Nolan my, is like Nolan is anti car sale. I'm not anti sale. No, no, no. I'm coming at this from. I know exactly who this kind of guy is because, like, my dad is the same way. Like, we have like four or five different project cars sitting around, and it becomes a real problem because. You know, you think you're going to like do all these projects to him, but it just doesn't come around. It's much better to focus on one car and get that done and then move on to the next instead of like thinking that you have the time to do all these different projects. I would want this guy to sell some of these cars instead of letting them rot on his property. But like that's just it's hard. It's really hard to get through to these kinds of people. I kind of understand. So the golf is not going to be fun to drive. It's more fun to look at. That's how I built it. So you can take pictures of it because I want to be in PVW magazine. The <laughs> Corolla is going to be too nice to drive. What? Really? Yeah. So I asked Casey if I could get another car. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I'm within the last couple or within the last couple months, I would say after I bought the Chrysler, that was a turning point for me where it's like I can't be one of those guys. Well, one, practically, I don't have the space for it. But two, I don't want to be one of the guys that has multiple projects in motion because it's just i don't know it's I, I i've seen the stresses that it causes and for me it's not it's not worth it i'm about to have two cars with no motor in them wait are you swapping the ae86 mm -mm. i'm just gonna take the motor out <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so gems of that french collection included a 1956 maserati a6g2000 berlinetta one of only three ever built continuing the trend of people stacking their trash on top of insanely rare cars 
There is also a Ferrari 250 GT SWB California Spider. Say that 10 times fast. Painted jet black. Looking to be an utterly mint condition. Which was almost invisible under a huge bundle of old car magazines. The car alone sold for an eye-popping, brain-dissolving... Uh... <laughs> $18.5 million. <laughs> the director in charge of auctioning all these cars said, quote, The magic of these 60 mysterious mechanical creatures is more like a giant work of art, the unrealized dream of their owner, which goes to show when it comes to sales, the story is almost as important as the product. A blue Porsche in the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> this is one for Nolan. Millions of dollars are cool, but barn finds are in their purest form when emotion overrides monetary value. And an individual car lover actually finds the vehicle that represents the pinnacle of his or her automotive fantasy. Ooh, I want to jump a river. <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe no better example of that than the story of a Porsche fan, Mike Savina of West Virginia, the proud owner of a Porsche 914 Mike was happy to talk Porsche with anyone and everyone. Hey, man, what's up? Uh, you want to talk about Porsche? Uh, you want to talk about uh, Porsche? Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when a construction worker doing a project at his house saw his 914, Mike and him got to talking about Porsches. And the guy mentioned that he knew of a Porsche that he thought to be a 75 911S that was sitting abandoned in a barn not too far away, just right down the street. Let's go check it out. The only catch was that the barn had actually collapsed on top of the Porsche, meaning that this was less a barn find and more of a barn rescue. Watch Barn Rescue, starring host Josh Taffer, James Pumphrey, Nolan Sykes, and Joe Weber, Sunday nights on the Paramount Network. I do love Bar Rescue. That's yeah. a good show. You need, some, you need to get some stalls in this barn. Your barn doesn't even have any stalls. You got nowhere. You you got nowhere to put your hay. You got nowhere to put your horses. <laughs> I opened this barn with my dad ten years ago because it was our dream to open, and I feel like we've lost the vision. <laughs> uh, Mike went to check out the Porsche and was greeted by a scary-looking six-foot-four ex-marine who corrected the construction guy's story. He did indeed own a Porsche buried under a collapsed barn, but it wasn't a 1975 911S. It was an even more rare 1967 911S. Mike, probably out of his mind with excitement at this point, went to look at the car. He could barely see it under the rubble of the, of the barn, but it looked like it was in rough shape. The blue roof was dented and there was a good amount of rust. But even in fair shape, he knew the car was valued at $45,000. Mike sprang into action. He emptied his bank account, leaving $3.86 as his balance. He offered $4,000 to the ex-Marine, and they settled on $5,000. Then, with the help of an excavator, he dug out his purchase, revealing the Porsche in rough shape, but mostly intact. The car needed a lot of work. Mike took it home and deliberated. He could flip it for an instant profit, but this was his dream car. He actually went back and forth several times, posting on Porsche forums and openly speculating on whether he could even afford the project. Like a true car guy, Mike eventually decided to keep the 911, expense be damned. That was last year. And a check on Mike's Instagram reveals that his blue Porsche is currently in his garage and getting worked on. It's kind of cool to see a sick barn find turn into a much-loved project car instead of getting auctioned off. Seeing these cars get detailed and restored is a huge part of the joy of a barn find. That pleasure is familiar to Larry Kusilla, a luxury auto dealer who got called in to detail a few cars in a rich dude's decades-old collection spanning three warehouses, with cars stacked literally on top of each other. Among them was a Lamborghini Diablo, a one-of-a-kind Oldsmobile Aurora race car with, with a 650-horsepower V8, a Shelby GT40, and perhaps, and perhaps the jewel of the entire collection, a Bizzarini P538. One of only a handful that exist in the world. The car hadn't been driven in over 32 years, but the owner wanted to sell it. So Larry had the bizarre privilege of giving the Bizzarini its first wash in over three decades. We can't own a barn find. Maybe cleaning one is the next best thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Larry Casilla, uh, you, if you're deep into um, car YouTube like I am, he, uh, he has the, the detailing channel Ammo NYC. You can actually watch a video of him detailing the Bizzarini and it's a great video. I love all of his stuff, man. Uh, so definitely check out Ammo NYC on YouTube. 
because uh, his his videos are awesome. Nolan, seven of the ten most expensive cars ever sold at auction are Ferraris. Ooh. Doesn't surprise me. Round two goes to James. A lot of the cars we've covered so far have been exotics and for good reason. If you've seen Tiger King, you know how rich people love to buy powerful beasts from overseas then neglect them in their backyard. <laughs> oh, man. Great documentary series. Now we turn to an all-American barn find in Greenwood, Alabama. In a barn about 60 miles south of Montgomery, a local man came across a 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona. An incredible okay. time capsule of American muscle at its finest, if I do say so myself. Dodge only made 503 Charger Daytonas in 1969, and nearly all of them were engineered to be NASCAR eligible. I'm talking homologation, baby. So one thing about these cars is that they tend to overheat in traffic because the radiator uh, is covered by the giant nose that they put on these things. So they had to cut a little little rectangle in the nose to give it some air to breathe. But uh, don't, oh, cool. don't try to commute in one of these things. This particular car has a high wing in white, so it's got an enormous wing, if you've ever seen one of these things, with pop-up headlights that look like they lost their ability to pop up years ago. So they're, yeah, they're those rotating style pop-up headlights. Mm -hmm. They don't come out of the hood, but they go whoop through the nose. Orange flames down the side of the car, as well as the word Daytona, were barely visible after years of fading. Inside, it sported a 440 Magnum V8 with only 20,000 miles on it. And it was offered at auction for an estimated 180000 but only sold for $99,000. Clearly, it needed a bit of work. I would say so. More than that. But in mint condition, these cars have sold for nearly a million dollars. Now, let's go from all-American to all-Australian. Starting in 1960, Ford Australia produced a version of the American-designed Falcon that was manufactured down under. But when Ford North America discontinued their version of the Falcon in 1970, Ford Australia decided to continue making the model. Starting in 1972, the Falcon became a truly Australian car, in 73 even getting marketed as, quote, the great Australian road car. The 73 version has a special value, as the XB trim was featured in both Mad Max and Mad Max 2, where it was driven by both Mad Max and the police who were chasing him. Mad Max's version of the Falcon in particular is referred to as the Pursuit Special. Decades later, it was also featured in Mad Max Fury Road. Needless to say, the 73 Falcon is an Australian icon, basically the Aussie's homegrown version of the Mustang. So when a very special 73 Falcon turned up outside Brisbane this year, after sitting unregistered since 1988, it quickly became a viral sensation in Australia. It was discovered in a shed hemmed by chicken wire, and so this particular car, a Falcon XAGT RPO 83 Coupe, became known as the Chicken Coop Coop among mm. Aussies. Nice Chicken Coop Coop! <laughs> Chicken Coop The RPO 83 was one of only 120 made back in 1973. Apparently, Falcon GTs were as controversial as they were popular in Australia in the 70s, as the country underwent a so-called supercar scare, with both politicians and the media singling out the Falcon GT as being dangerously overpowered for a street-legal car. I dude, I bet, I bet Ford was like, like, I'll give you a million dollars if you say that this car is too powerful for the street. That's like <laughs> the best uh, marketing. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to see, like, all these resto mods getting 900 horsepower. Oh, yeah, that's... Like, why <laughs> Why do you need that much horsepower? And then then it's really not going to be driven because a, a, a an old muscle car like that with such primitive engineering and, like, structural integrity with, like, yeah. enormous power is just going to be so scary to drive. Anyway, uh, dangerously overpowered streetcar. Back in Australia, Ford Australia reacted by canceling a race-ready edition of the car called the GTHO Phase 4, but then they somewhat sneakily added the parts from the canceled cars to existing standard models and marketed them as RPO cars or regular production options. Although the car, equipped with an upgraded carburetor, two and a, two and a quarter inch exhaust headers, and a choke knob on the dash, among other features, was anything but standard issue. Certain other details of the Falcon are so Australia that they defy understanding, including its orange color or its orange paint color named 
McRobertson's old gold. <laughs> <laughs> McRobertson's old gold. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. <laughs> Which was a nod to the, quote, equally legendary and pioneering Australian chocolate maker, McRobinson, the inventors of the iconic Cherry Ripe and Freddo Frog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's I have to get we we got we got to go down to Australia. Uh, yeah. So the chicken coop coop that was found in the chicken coop. Sold just a couple weeks later, or a couple weeks ago, actually, in as is condition for two hundred sixteen thousand American dollars. So there you go. Ooh, it looks cool. I see. Even even like real barn finds, some of the pictures look staged, where it's like there's like an actual chicken and there's like hay bales and stuff. Some of them do. <laughs> I think like they definitely do lighting on some of them, like that charger, for example. I know what Kari's talking about. And if you look at yeah. the pictures, it's just like, so like the lighting is like too perfect. Yeah. It's right next to like three perfectly placed hay bales. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no like vines growing around it or anything. The buried Dino, or should I say Dino? No, it's Dino. Dinos are buried though. Yeah. <laughs> <Get it>? Yeah. <laughs> a chicken coop coop is a pretty weird place to find a car. <laughs> but in South Central LA, a 1974 Ferrari Dino 246 GTS was found in an even crazier spot, buried underground in someone's backyard. The story of how it got there is even stranger. The car had been purchased by a couple who took it to dinner at the Brown Derby restaurant. <laughs> That's a classic LA restaurant if you don't know about the Brown Derby. It's, it, used, it was shaped like a hat, and now it's a chase bank. When they emerged from the restaurant to go home, they were shocked to discover that their Dino, which they'd owned for a matter of weeks, had just disappeared. The car was never found and the owner's insurance covered it. Then four years later, a detective got a lead on a car that was buried in a backyard, thinking it could contain bodies or drugs. This was LA in the 70s, mind you. The detective tracked down the purported burial spot and got to digging. The detective didn't want to admit he had a confidential informant, and so he half-jokingly told the press that it was a bunch of kids. It's pretty smart. The story was major news back in 1978. After all, it's not often that you see a Ferrari get, getting dug out of the ground. The car being named Dino was just a bonus. The fossil headlines write themselves. Oh my god, it would have been so snarky. <laughs> no, no bones about it. This dino. <laughs> no bones about it. Some fucking idiot buried it. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Ferrari was in rough shape when it was dug up, and as the thieves had done a half job of dirt proofing it, stuffing towels into the exhaust and throwing a rug over the roof. Hey, I think this rug is going to keep out all the worms and dirt and moisture. <laughs> Whatever you say, boss. <laughs> all right, squints. <laughs> Put some extra dirt and mud on it. <laughs> um, luckily, the story has a happy ending. The car eventually ended up in the hands of Brad Howard. who <laughs> Everyone knows Brad Howard. <laughs> Brad restored it and with the help of local Ferrari mechanic, literally brought it back from the dead. That's a good ending. Um, he still drives it around and, and goes to like cars and coffee. You can see it's a, it's like a Hunter green Dino and the license plate is something clever, like dug up or something like that. <laughs> Barn finds are the pop tarts of car culture, addictive, easily consumable little snacks, but the best barn find stories can transcend the pop tart and start to take on the flavor of myths or legend, evoking long hidden secrets, family intrigue, and even crime. When something of value is lost and forgotten, it naturally feels amazing to hear the story of how it was rediscovered and brought back to former glory. A lot of the cars that we covered are crazy valuable or rare, but barn finds don't necessarily need to be in the seven figures or even in the six figures or even in the five figures to be cool. Maybe your dream find is a 1994 Buick Roadmaster in Adriatic blue with wood grain inserts. That'll run you about 6,000 bucks. Maybe it's a 77 Ford Pinto hatch in blaze orange with plaid seats and rusted outdoors. Yours for $1,400. Or maybe it's even a Pulse Project 1985 Pulse Auto Cycle that's somehow street legal even though it's literally just a cartoon rocket ship mounted on four wheels in a diamond grid. 
You can own a gutch darn spaceship for 7500 bucks. All these are cars that got posted to a site called barnfinds.com in a single day, meaning one thing. Your own personal barn find is out there waiting for you, and it might even be surprisingly affordable. Personally, I'm looking forward to the day in the distant future when Tesla Model S's and C8 Corvettes start turning up as barn finds. Nolan, Joe, and I will be sitting in our hover rocking chairs talking about the good old days and how barn finds just ain't what they used to be because the barns are now our freaking spaceship. They don't even have <laughs> horses in them. They got glip glorps. <laughs> Until then, we'll keep eating up barn fine flavored Pop-Tarts like there's no tomorrow. Can't wait to see what's going to turn up next. That was a fun little one. What's fun about a, a barn find to me is finding it on your own, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my favorite part of uh, Forza Horizon is just trying to use my drone to find the the secret barn. And then you go in the barn and it's, it's I don't know, it's a cool, it's a fun thing. I mean, how do you even find a, a barn find? You just go like <laughs> sneaking around in people's barns? Well, you hear about it from other people, uh, and then that's what happens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you root it out like a pig searching for a truffle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, I hope you guys had fun hanging out with us. We did a lot of bits, a lot of goofy stuff. Uh, next week... We're going to keep it going, not with the goofy stuff, but having a fun, uh, another fun episode next week. We're talking about Option Magazine, the OG Tuner Magazine uh, should be a lot of fun. I don't really know anything about them, so I'm lo- looking forward to learning about them. Uh, Option Magazine was the first nerd thing I did with carbs. Like, it was the first like, oh yeah, I'm a nerd now. Ordering <laughs> Option, ma- ordering a, a Japanese magazine and a VHS off of... Um, eBay. As always, follow Donut on all social media if you haven't already. Follow it or subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't yet. Um, I know there's a few of you out there. Follow James on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G Weber. We gotta get Joe's numbers up. He works too damn hard to not be to not have his numbers up, and he's really funny. So check out Joe G Weber. Follow me at Nolan J Sykes. I'm uh, coming up on. Nah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, whatever. Be kind. I love you. And wink, wink. (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.